like a like a your fly like a G six. A G six, I think, is a jet, right? I don't know. <laughs> is isn't it? I I don't know anything about jets or airplanes. You ever meet those guys that were like um like just super into like AV pilot stuff. They were like, I'm going to school. I'm going to learn how to fly a plane. And <laughs> man, it's so cool. I work on jets all day, but I've, I can't touch the stick because I need six months of training. And then you're like, okay, well, when do you get to, well, I actually don't get to fly for over two years. As a matter of fact, I get to sit next to the guy who flies. I'm like, how are you excited about this? Man? No, I didn't know anybody who was a, pl- who was a pilot. There Although, were- so I am colorblind. But I, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. Yeah. That was my – and then I realized I couldn't because I was colorblind. <laughs> they, that seriously disqualifies you? Yeah. Surprising. What? You can, how's that disqualify you? I'm so confused. Like, <laughs> they have colorblind modes in video games. Why can't they have a colorblind <laughs> mode in a jet that costs like – You'd think, yeah. But no, yeah, you, you can't. Yeah. Well, you can podcast – yeah, you don't have to see necessarily to do that. Although we do watch a movie podcast. Most of our movies are in black and white, though, so I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah, color isn't super necessary. It's just contrast. Maybe that's why you like black and white movies. Contrast, yeah, for sure. To Definitely. all I know, your um, viewing of movies that aren't in colorblind <laughs> mode is just a total drug trip. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cinema Spectator. Wow. You can do your intro. You're introing the show. Dang, take the rails. Oh, I just figured I don't want to run out of disk space on the computer. So. <laughs> Someone had to do it. Well, I will say it is just before I introduce the show. <laughs> okay, way to continue to derail. Before before we go on, um, I will say um, I think video, like shooting, the way that I shoot is different than... Like there are definitely people who who are concerned about color, who are concerned about sort of the popping and the vibrancy of of certain colors. Um, for me, I am much more interested in contrast and light. Um, so I think that's true. That I I not not to say that I don't I don't care about color, um, because I think you know it's worthwhile to think about that when when it comes to the frame. But for me, I'm much more interested in contrast and light for sure. Anyways, hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator. This is a show where a casual and an expert watch movies that are in the cinematic canon. Uh, my name is Cameron Tuttle. I'm joined in person today with Isaac Ransom. We watched a show called, or we watched a movie called Some Like It Hot, uh, directed by Billy Wilder, starring Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon. Um, and Marilyn Monroe, too. So uh, that was the movie today. We watched it in person. And if you want to hear that, our commentary track will be up on Patreon soon, I guess. Yeah, I don't want you to feel like you're getting gypped, though. I mean, this this commentary track is definitely more silent because while they're so focused on, uh, you know, dialogue. And also, I forgot a headphone splitter. So it's kind <laughs> of like uh, we, we sort of lacked on the split audio usually we post each month an episode with movie audio in the background mixed behind it and one without audio this is kind of a unique chaotic start one it's it's uh, you know we were a little all over the place today but we are here and we did it and i'm glad we did it and now we get to break it down for you in the actual episode again if you subscribe on our patreon at the one dollar tier you get access to commentary and tracks not just this month's but all the prior ones there's tons of them that have better audio hopefully this month's is still good I just want I didn't want to feel like I was pitching you something that <laughs> isn't to our normal standard quality I hope you can forgive us for that but 
Well, I would say that this is a fun movie to watch with friends because um, for me, I've seen this in class multiple times. I think I saw it in class like three times, four times maybe. Um, and in different different classes, obviously. But um, it's a fun movie to see with a crowd or with with a couple other people because it's just it's just enjoyable. You know, there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot of quippy dialogue, but it, it, you know, visual gags and and other things like that. So um, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be the most in depth commentary that we've ever done. There's certainly more movies that have. Uh, you know, we were able to have conversations over, I guess. Um, but it's definitely one that that I would recommend in terms of if you want to kick back and watch a movie with a friend. So, yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but it's uniquely modern for a black and white film. And I think Wilder has that touch on his movies. We're going to get into it more and more. But yeah, I think I think we'll have lots to talk about. But before we get into that, because the roles are just flipped today. How are you, Cameron? Oh, I'm doing all right. Um you know, we, it's Saturday. We're just hanging out, honestly. Like, we had lunch. We're drinking a beer. It's, it, we're drinking Prohibition beer. You know, it's in honor of the film. It's a I theme. Guess. It's a theme throughout the film. But, um, honestly, yeah, I'm just, I'm doing all right. I, I'm, it's good to see you. It's been a very long time since I've seen you. So. Yeah. We've been separated because of some scheduling things and, it's like we're uh, retired old grannies. That's kind of how we've been spending today, you know, just uh, going to lunch together, watching a movie in the early morning. I th- I'm pretty sure that's what the life of a grandma is, but uh, nevertheless. You know. It is funny, yeah. We, we are, Just as our lives have become, our friendship has just become so domesticated. <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just sitting around hanging out. We don't we we used to like go out and and do stuff and you know go well, I guess we never really went to bars or anything, but we used to go to restaurants and you know eat. Well, we and, went to a restaurant? Yeah, that's true, but it was like a brunch restaurant. <laughs> yeah, it makes you it makes you feel much elderly. Uh, yeah, exactly. We went to a brunch restaurant. We had chicken sandwiches, which I guess is normal for us, but yeah. I don't know. It was. It just. It feels like we're old. <laughs> it's a little depressing. <laughs> just an ounce of the of depression, you know. Yeah, I got beef with Saturday. I don't know what it is. It's just an odd day. So this is a good Saturday for me. Even what do you mean it's an odd day? I just never have liked it. You know why? What I always have something to do on Saturday. Mm. Something. It's like the catch up work day. You know, whether it's <laughs> chores or you know, I gotta I gotta drive to San Francisco and do a podcast, which. Despite, you know, it being a task, it's pretty fun hanging out yeah, with you. Yeah, I would say, I for me, Saturdays, I, I agree. Saturdays are usually the, the days where people are like, oh, it's Saturday, let's do something. Most of the time, I just want to just sit, in, sit at home. Yeah, and, it's just, and then when I'm home, you're like, well, I got to do the dishes or I got to clean something. Yeah. There's like this honeydew list for Saturday, right? That's why Friday nights for me are always better than Saturday. A hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. They're no, way more fun because there's, you know, you got all tomorrow to burn away. You know, you got to do chores, but at least yeah. you can you can live it up big on Friday, you know, stay yeah, up that's late. True. Well, that's, it's funny you say that because before you came over at like 11, I just like spent a couple hours cleaning the kitchen and, I'm you know, the table and my a, room. There's a Saturday curse. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. That's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm but, just, I'm not into it. I don't know what it is. And you know, what's worse is when I was a kid, Saturday was the day where it was like, my parents were like, Hey, clean the whole house. Right. And that yeah, just, exactly. it is like 
continued to echo throughout my life to this day. Can't that's going to be my favorite thing about having kids is telling them to to clean. It's great. Yeah, but they're not going to know how to do it. I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid, my dad was like, "Clean this," and then I did it, and he came back and he was like, "This is not." done you're not even close you know so, yeah but that's why you gotta you gotta beat them into submission you know they they gotta learn oh now we're talking you know 19 1920s yeah you know? exactly there you go <laughs> uh no um well i i will say i did watch a lot of movies this week so um i went to the movies twice whoa went to the movies unbelievable is there a pine needle stuck in my sock there is Look at that. This is what happens when we do it live. <laughs> um, yeah, I went to the movies twice this week. Uh, one, I saw The Father uh, with Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins. Amazing. It's my favorite movie of the year, for sure. Um, it's It came out in 2020, technically. But uh, it's sort of a 2021 movie, I guess. But yeah, absolutely incredible. Highly recommend it. It's, not, it's only premiering in theaters right now, but I'm sure it'll get distribution probably later in the year um or it'll have a re-release in theaters but we'll we'll see i guess uh yeah i was nominated for an oscar uh for best picture uh or multiple i think i guess i don't know mm. um yeah it's it's genuinely a great great movie um highly recommend it and then i saw the movie um nomadland with francis mcdormand um, that was good too. I, I I definitely enjoyed it. It's a it's a different kind of movie. It's very slow. It's very um, meandering. Obviously, it's called Nomadland, but it's very yeah. meandering in terms of its plot and its structure. Um, but I really thought it had a lot of heart for the characters. It had a lot of heart for for the people that it was depicting. Um, and there were no. It was it was kind of shocking. There was no like villainous element there was no like overarching narrative of of someone you know causing harm on this town or on this this you know this person um it really was was more of a a piece about about sort of humanity and about um the needs of a person in in sort of uh in a low state i guess um and it was, I think it was really effective. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to everybody personally, but I think it's, it's, you know, I, I would say if most people walked into this movie, they would be like, oh, what? Like, this is boring, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, for me, I really was, was touched by a lot of moments of it. Um, just because it was so, it was so human and it, it wasn't, didn't feel cynical. Um, mm. that's what I liked about it. So anyways, those two, uh, I really quite liked, uh, both of them. So, yeah, you got enough cynical in your personality. You don't need more of that. No, I don't. And and it's it's refreshing to see a movie that takes issues and people seriously without turning them into cartoons or villains or you know things like that. You know, everybody in this movie is just is just doing their their best essentially. And no. it's there's something heartfelt about it, even though it's a bad situation. They're doing their best. So. Mm. Yeah, I haven't really watched a ton of movies this week. I feel like I watched something, but it's completely slipping away from me. I don't. I don't think I've I've watched anything. Mm. The only thing I have watched is kind of the conclusion of Schitt's Creek. Mm. Um, Juliana's been really into that show, and I have been fascinated by this TV series. Not because I think it's really anything that special, <laughs> but there's something about it that you can't quite put your finger on because you're like, 
why is this show keeping my interest? It's kind of like the yeah. the the position I continue to take when I'd watch bits and pieces. I didn't watch the whole thing. I don't care that much to watch the whole thing. I don't care about TV. But, you know, Juliana really enjoys watching TV, so she wants to watch the show with me. And when I hang out with her, she's like, I'm on, you know, season six, episode three. And I was like, well, I last one I watched was season four, episode eight. So, I mean, it literally feels like nothing changes in these, like, sitcom movie or TV shows and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as we were coming close to the end, I'm like, there's emotional payoff. There are things that are coming together that are working in a surprisingly like effective way. Yeah. And I began to notice small things like, you know, David's character or uh, Moira's character having like these wardrobes that are consistent, but almost characters in and of themselves. I'm like, there's so much like detail in that. Right? Yeah. hundred uh, percent. There's so much detail in the characters reacting. And so towards the end, like we're watching the end of the, sh- the show together, I start pointing these things out to Juliana, right? I'm like, hey, like, you notice how like consistent the wardrobe is? You notice how like somebody decided that that was so important, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, no, I don't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, two days ago, we get together to hang out and Juliana's like, I finished Shit's Creek without you. I love the ending. It was amazing. And I was like, cool. And she's like, well, I watched the making of and I was like, I don't know anything about it. Apparently, David Rose, the character in the show, um, he is like the brainchild behind the entire... Yeah, I think he's one of the writers. Yeah. He? Yeah. And so he came forward to his dad, who is actually Johnny Rose in the show. Uh, his name is like Eugene in real life. Eugene Levy. Yeah, Eugene Levy. Uh, and he came up with the show idea, but they spent so much time writing like a ton of backstory and lore around this mm-hmm. family. There's just so much heart that's put into the creation of this TV show. And I was like, I knew there was something. Like I was like, yeah, I could totally, not totally. I could not put my finger on it. But I was like, this is not your normal sitcom. Right. You yeah. Know? I you know, I watched um I watched the first four seasons, I think. Um and I really enjoyed it. I, I think it's I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's like it's very much a thoughtful TV show. It's, it's such a sitcom, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's very elevated in terms of, um, it's, it's presentation, I think is, is really brilliantly done. Um, and the characters are, are interesting and likable and, and, you know, they never get on your nerves. Like, I feel like in, in sitcoms, there's a tendency for them to become caricatures. Right. Um, and in this, it's almost the opposite. Like, it's the, they start as caricatures, and then as you go along, they kind of get deeper and more developed um, in, a, in a way that's different from, from a lot of sitcoms. So, yeah, yeah. Your, my initial impression of watching it was so, like, I've seen something like this before. But the more you watch it, you're like, wait, there's a lot more to it. So, I don't know, like... I can't say that I sat through the entire show, right? Mm-hmm. I've only seen bits and pieces, but that alone was enjoyable. So, right. I mean, like, that was the brunt of my watching power this week was Shit's Creek, and I enjoyed my time with it, if that makes sense. That's good. At all. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, well, I think we should get into it uh, because 
I'm sure we have a lot to talk about, and we've already wasted so much time on the show. So, Well, it's live. <laughs> uh, time to shill. This is Cinema Spectator. As you know, uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash ecfsproductions, get a couple, throw a couple dollars, get a commentary track, get your questions, comments, concerns, read on air, all that stuff, just like our executive producer, Darren O'Neill, wrote in on Patreon. Uh, he's referencing an older episode. He said, I've been trying for years to cancel my Patreon contribution, but I can't remember my login. LOL. Needless to say, I love that episode and your unique shout out. You're very welcome, Darren. We, as I we, think we said, we <laughs> as we shill for our Patreon, our highest contributor is saying he wishes he could cancel. Yes, that's true. So if that's any compelling argument, again, patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you can't support us with dollars, we get it. We're broke too. Um, besides Darren's great, incredible rich money. Um, <laughs> you know, we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can give us a rating on iTunes, tell friends and family that's how the show grows. Let's talk about Some Like It Hot. Yeah, it- I have it sitting in like a, a, my Blu-ray is sitting on like a little stand over over in the corner there. It's kind of, I, I like it. I want to I wanna continue that train a rolling when I watch movies. I'll put it on a stand over there. It's quite elegant, you know. I mean, right next to the TV, you're watching it. If you ever forget what you're watching, you can just look down and say, oh yeah, Some Like It Thought. You know? I <laughs> I always <laughs> if you read have, it wrong. That's it, like that's the only thing I can see now. It looks weird because the the it's all in capital letters, um, and so it does kind of look like some like I thought. Um, yeah, but in any case, <laughs> some, some like, like I it thought. <laughs> <laughs> some like it hot. Uh, it scandalous, is scandalous. You know, reboot of Ro- I Robot. You know. goodness Um, oh my gosh if only we filmed this episode you know Cameron's disdain All right, continue so I'm so sorry Some Like It Hot uh, the classic Billy Wilder movie um, made in 1959 so one year before The Apartment which we watched last week Um, we were going to do it in reverse order but it doesn't really matter it's of the same era I would say Um, it's sort of in peak Billy Wilder this is the movie you know, he had been working in Hollywood since the 30s. Uh, he had been he had been sort of through ups and downs in his careers. It, it, he had, he was at Paramount for a long time, and then he moved on to to direct his own movies um, outside of the studio system. Um, I mean, it was still inside, but inside outside basically. Uh, and this was at the height of him being like, I can get any name I want. I can get any you know any. I basically have all of the budget that I can, you know, that I can muster. Um, and especially in a picture like this, where it's Marilyn Monroe is the big, big name draw. Uh, and he, he doesn't, I would say he goes for, for actors that are, um, for, that are like his brand. You know what I mean? He has a certain, he, he commands a certain kind of script, a certain presence, um, that only particular actors can really do. And, and I think this movie is a great example of that. Um, Jack Lemmon is so charming and he, he continued to, to sort of be in Billy Wilder's movies, uh, in the future. But for me, this is quintessential Wilder comedy. Um, this is a quintessential screwball comedy. Uh, and, in a lot of ways, it's the last screwball comedy. It's the last sort of straightforward one. Um, it's well outside what, what's considered the canonical period. But because it's wilder and because it's uh, it's this like ridiculous premise and it's the love story, 
it's considered a a traditional screwball comedy. So uh, I I think it's important to put it out there at at the beginning. This isn't really like this isn't really like any of the other movies that we've watched this month. It's very unique in the way that that Wilder, uh, like I said. I think last week he has his comedies and he has his, his dramas. Um, and this is the first comedy that we've watched. So, um, we haven't really gotten an introduction into this side of things. And after this movie, he, he, he kind of, that's, that's basically all he makes in the later half of his career is comedies. Um, you know, so after, after the apartment, he makes one, two, three, which is set in, uh, Cold War Berlin, uh, and it's a comedy about sort of. I think it's a Coca Cola executive who, um, whose daughter is trying to marry a communist. I think, um, which you know, classic setup, I guess. But <laughs> what a what a knee slapper. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, but uh, he makes one, two, three, and then he makes a movie called um, Irma Laduce, and then he makes a movie called. Kiss Me Stupid in 1964, and that was that was a total failure, total flop. Uh, people hated that movie. They called it smut. Um, wow. Which, what do you think of it? I like it. I like uh, Kiss Me Stupid. It's funny because it's very Billy Wilder, but also it's kind of it's kind of amped up to eleven in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it I think it works really well. I I would say. Personally, it's not my my favorite of his movies, and and really, I I think we'll get into it. But his comedies are kind of, um, I don't want to say simplistic, but they're they don't they don't necessarily carry the weight as some of his other movies. Um, mm. Even though he's funniest in his comedies, for sure, I think a lot of his other movies they have they have a touch of maybe it's cynicism or maybe it's humanity, you know looking at humanity in a certain light uh, that doesn't quite come through in his comedies. All of his characters are kind of um, made for gags in, in a sense. Uh, and so th- I think the apartment is kind of that, that quick period of crossover where there's, there's heart, there's humanity, there's, there's sort of the, you know, there is funny moments in that, in that movie, but at the same time, it's like, everything feels like it's it's like mesh together you know everything feels feels cohesive um and this movie is totally uh i mean it's cohesive certainly but it's it's totally a straight comedy you know there's gags there's there's physical comedy there's you know visual things that are going on and then the speed of of how they're talking and and sort of the quippy lines and quippy dialogue is kind of what brings the the whole package together so um that's just my general overview in terms of where billy wilder is at this point in in his career and um yeah i mean is there anything else you want to say about that like does it seem different than than the other movies that we've watched, or does it seem more, um, you know, more effective in one way or another? What do you think? I guess. Yeah, I think this movie feels very different than the. I mean, the ones we all the ones we watched this month, um, even the apartment, because of the themes you're talking about about the touch of humanity. It's not to say that the characters in this movie are bad because they're not they have motivation they're set up well but they're not 
grabbing something that kind of tugs on a reality that you didn't want to face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the apartment does that in a scary way. Mm-hmm. I can't stop thinking about the apartment, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those movies that you, ju- it just hits you. And it hit me at like the right time, mm-hmm. you know, Cameron, I know I've been talking to you like off the show a lot about like just dealing with anxiety or work and things like that. And it's like the apartment touches on things that I didn't really want to face in the moment. Right. You know, and it's like, dang, like this couldn't have come at a worse time for me, but it was an important thing to hear. Yeah. Like I felt like wow, there was like, I'm speaking to you right now. You know, this movie doesn't have that. Right. No, it's it's much more uh, entertainment, which which I think is totally valid. Too. Yeah. No, of course. And as a casual, like I draw myself towards that. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes when you taste like <laughs> the rich, flavorful, like expensive steak at this restaurant that costs you like one hundred twenty dollars for a bite, <laughs> going to you know Alexander's Steakhouse and paying fifty dollars for a slab that you can barely finish. It's almost like, I don't know, yeah, you're getting value, you're getting like that quick, exciting, man, look at this thing, you know? Sometimes you want a little bit of the refinement. Yeah. I don't totally. feel down on this movie. Like, I en- I enjoyed this movie a lot. I just, I can see why you put the apartment afterwards. Yeah. yeah. But I'm kind of glad that I was shocked in the apartment's strength after watching... Um, Witness for the prosecution. Yeah, witness for the prosecution, which almost came about by accident. Which I I think witness for the prosecution is like one of my favorite films I've seen. And and I said this to you last week, but I watched that movie right after recording a podcast about it. Again, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. rare for me to watch a movie twice <laughs> on this podcast. You know, <laughs> or in in real life, right? Right. You don't usually go back. Let alone like drag other people to watch it. Like I told exactly. my parents, yeah, I had to yeah. watch it too. Right. You know, like the heart of Billy Wilder coming through the films, you know, like besides his excellent wit and all this stuff, like all that's good, but the heart is what like really stabs and sticks. Yeah. Right. This movie, I don't know if it has the stabs and sticks, but I still enjoyed it. Like I still thought it was, it was, it was really solid all around. And I, we got to talk about some of the clever setup for this. Yeah. For, for some of the things that are. Yeah, pulled totally. Off I think, I think we'll get it. Let's get into the, the story next, but I will say, I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, it doesn't have the, I, I don't want to say staying power cause I think it does. Um, but it's very much like it's quintessential, like, comedy it is it doesn't it doesn't hit you with with something emotional or effective or or anything like that it hits you with with just how well put together it is and that's i think what what ha, what has the staying power you know what has the, the this movie still is is one of the you know the most famous movies from this era right um, and i think that's why is because is because every you know, nothing feels out of place. It all feels like it's firing on 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 you know all cylinders. And for me, while it doesn't it doesn't stay with you as as a powerful movie in that way, it definitely stands out to me in terms of what you can do with two hours, a wild premise, and you know 
some and like how much fun you can have in a movie like this, right? Absolutely. And I think the ending is the keystone or like cornerstone factor of, of what what this movie is about. Yeah. But before we get into that, let's go into the the story and sort of the setup and if it, if nobody's if anybody's hasn't heard of this movie before, uh, we should we should get into that before we spoil it because you know, there's a lot of fun gags in it. Oh yes, definitely. So this movie follows uh, Jack Lemon and the other guy, Tony which, Curtis. Tony Curtis, uh, <laughs> as musicians trying to make a living uh, in their life, and they're playing a show during the Prohibition era. Of course, they're kind of involved with something happening in the mob scene. They're playing a show at a place where they're serving coffee, aka booze, right? <laughs> and um, they get caught up with the mob and uh, end up running from them. And their solution to avoid getting caught is dressing up as female band members of an all-female band. Uh, so it's, it's you know, you mentioned white chicks when we were watching the film, right? There's this fun, like, play on Battle of the Sexes or these guys kind of, like, trying to fit into a group that they definitely don't belong, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and seeing these sympathetic characters trying to run for their lives and survive, but also be put in these situations where of course they're motivated men, you know, they're excited <laughs> about being in women's dressing rooms and all this stuff. It's wrong on a lot of levels. And <laughs> it's quite funny when, when you're witnessing them experience these situations. Right. So the plot kind of continues from there as you know, the mob keeps catching up with them, but really they, both the guys kind of start falling for Marilyn Monroe's character. Who's the lead singer of the band kind of a love triangle there's a lot of funny bits in that um they're trying to find a way to keep their identities as women but also make moves as men towards marilyn monroe and it is as goofy as the setup sounds well done quite scandalous for an old black and white movie very scandalous there were butt shots in this movie which i was like (laughs) whoa like wow yeah i mean and to think about Obviously, this was a period of change in Hollywood, as I said in the the commentary track. But uh, you know, just one one year after this uh, w- was was Psycho. We watched Psycho. Yep. Um, which uh, another sort of very scandalous movie at the time. Yeah. yeah um, in in uh, I'm trying to think of of the other sort of um, classics of this era. Bonnie and Clyde was was a couple years later. Um, and that movie, you know, this movie is pretty violent too in terms yeah. of, of what it shows. I liked Bonnie and Clyde. Me I too. I love. I don't Bonnie think and Clyde. I gave that movie enough credit. When it, and I'm sorry to kind of derail our conversation, but like that movie, I think about that movie a lot. Me too. It's a. It. I. I totally agree with you because it's one of those ones where I. I don't want to say I didn't care for it at the time, but I I totally didn't give it enough credit. And then thinking about it and rewatching it, I I started to come around and be like, wow, this movie has like so much going for it. Yeah. In any case, that's a Sorry. different conversation. Yeah, yeah. You can we listen can have to a- our you can listen to our old episode about our initial impressions and then you know, now you know our current take. We could have a review of it uh, we'll see. at one yeah. point. But you know, if we ever run out of movies to watch, which <laughs> we never will, will, will never yeah. happen. But um, we can revisit some. I think it might be fun to do a, do like a Revisit second month? take, yeah, yeah a second mm. take month. It's a good idea. Um, in any case, yeah, this this movie definitely was pushing the boundaries, and that's one of the things that I like about Wilder and that we talked about in the commentary track was 
Um, he is, he's so clever and so fun that as much as this movie has like innuendo and is very, uh, as you said, scandalous or, you know, there's, there's things that, that are, um, you know, improper that you, that you might not show in a different movie. He has a way of putting things and showing things and, getting i guess like skirting around the sensors that i think is so fun and so so like playful you know what i mean that's that's what i love most about his movies is is he he had fun making fun of the sensors he had fun making fun of the people who would who would be shocked at at his movies because in some ways he's he's very um he doesn't show much, you know, in, in terms of, of what's actually going on. It's not like this, this movie has, you know, is, is even the most gratuitous movie that we've watched. Probably the piano is the most gratuitous Gosh, movie we've watched. I hate that um, movie. <laughs> but I you know, despise that film. But you know, they say things where you're like, wow, that's like, that still would be a laugh line today. Or that still would be a line that got that, that maybe, you know, the innuendo of it, uh, would be something that would be that would be funny in in today's day and age, um, and that was probably you know there's some there's some jokes that he makes where you're like wow he's really joking about that right now <laughs> like he, yeah. can, he he's really he's really going for it and um, that's what I find so fun about his movies is just he he has such a playful sense of humor and um, and he's so clever he just he just gets away with it you know. He puts things in his movies where you're like, "This isn't. This is a movie that came out like t- 20 years ago, right? This this isn't a movie that came out in 1959." Yeah, know? there's something like so much more engaging as an audience member, and and we talked about this briefly on the commentary track, but it's like now and and starting kind of in the 70s, right? Like anything goes, right? If you're gonna have like full on nudity. But there's like no power and no intelligence in in some of those moments, right? Yeah. Especially today in some of the, you know, studio Hollywood, you got Transformers and Megan Fox opening a hood and it's just like, I feel nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's so much more energy and velocity behind dancing around the sensors. Like even what his work did with The Apartment, and I'm sorry to go back to this film, but... Like, that movie has an extremely dark uh, premise about, like, people using an apartment for sex. Yeah. And they don't show a thing, but it's heavy on the viewer. You know? Yeah, and you you totally know. You know, you, there's no... there's they, He doesn't hide anything. It's not like he's hiding the ball, but you totally... You don't see anything. And I you mean, didn't it's... need one of those, you know, 21st century sex scenes to make you feel the weight. The same way that this movie you know, doesn't need to show full nudity to have you know that Marilyn Monroe is steamy hot, you know? Right. Yeah. Right? Like, there, there's enough shown with this pull of, like, moderation that almost keeps you more engaged than if there was something shown, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of power. It's a lost trade, to be honest, in Hollywood. Totally. Um, and it was lost you know, before Billy Wilder stopped making movies, you know, he even, even he had trouble kind of adjusting to the times where you could show everything, where you could, you know, you could put anything in a movie because he, he was, you know, he, 
the people thought he was like an old fuddy duddy, essentially. You yeah. know, which is crazy to think. I mean, he made some of the most like cutting edge, pushing the envelope movies, um, you know, of the of the past era. And then by the time he, you know, he gets to the seventies and eighties, he's being considered the, you know, the, the the old hat of like, right? You know, and and it's it's a shame because I think people didn't didn't respect the idea that that um sometimes it's you know like like in horror movies sometimes it's best to not see exactly um it's the same thing as horror movies where it's like yeah. it's scarier to never see the alien the xenomorph in alien right, right? yeah exactly whereas like if you show it all the time you just get alien 2 which is like popcorn which i love alien 2 right like i love it but it's not there's no tension compared to the first alien. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I think like an approach to sexuality and showing those, those elements like has so much more tact and, and, and like the, the word I keep coming back to is engagement. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Marilyn Monroe wears some really like scandalous outfits in this. Right. <laughs> but they serve like almost plot purposes. Right. She wears a white, um, shirt that you can't tell where the fabric starts and finishes, right? It's probably the best way of putting it around her body. It's quite yeah. revealing. And then later on, she wears a black version of it around some heartache, right? Yeah. And there's um, there's a lot, like as an audience member, you're really just taking in her her beauty in a way, right? You're kind of driven to it, but you're never satisfied and and they're like dingling that around you. Or, you know, you see her backside and all that stuff when she's on the boat, you know, she has her her big fur coat that she removes. And it's like, dude, this place to Marilyn Monroe as an entity and a cultural figure that she is today, right? Yeah. This movie almost like cements that, right? Totally. And yeah. she doesn't even play a character that is like, for lack of a better word, a hoe. She's she's not really like that. She really does have a like a roundness around her. She's not just completely revealing. Instead, she is beautifully shown, and yet that alone was enough to hold her image to this day. You yeah, know? I I like to think of it, especially in this movie, as sort of um, naivete or yeah. or sort of a an innocence in terms of her. Um, you know, she she feels like she is she's like ready to be uh, like whisked away by like by the wind. You know, she's like she's dreamy in a way that that is almost like you can't capture it. You know, yeah. Um, and it's very it's very interesting. I I think, uh, you know, she was she was definitely a a, a sex symbol at this time. She was definitely you know, known for being this, this, you know, icon of that era. Um, you know, I think at this point she was, she had already posed for Playboy. She was, you know, she was, she, she, it's not like she was hiding necessarily, you know? Um, but at the same time in this movie, she feels so, um, so innocent and so naive and Uh, young and young. Yeah. And and like, and, because I have never seen anything with Marilyn Monroe in it, right? Besides the iconic images, you know, hearing backstory about JFK or anything like that, all those rumors and, you know, just her interpretation from a 21st century view, 
to see her playing a role like this is not what I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like for me, it's like, okay, yeah, of course she's beautiful. Right? But I kind of expected someone who had been around the block. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of expected someone that would be like, I know exactly what I'm doing. You know? And that's not the character I got at all in this in this film. No. Yeah. And she she's she's the only tragic character too. Yeah. Um, she's the one who who you have the most sympathy in uh, throughout the movie. I mean, the rest of them, you know, uh, you you like Jack Lemmon's character and you like Tony Curtis's character. Although both of them are kind of skeezy, a little bit. You know, they they're total bums. So that's they, what we they kept are saying. bums. They are bums. But the, at the same time, you know, they're they're totally likable. You know, you right. you enjoy being on the ride with them. You enjoy sort of their shenanigans. And at the same time, you're like, oh man, why don't you just get a job? Essentially, is yeah. is what you keep thinking. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're they're never at well. The, they're they're always very capable. Mm-hmm. They're, you're, you're you could tell that they're able to get out of a situation. They're willing to to sort of jump through hoops to get you know to get out uh, to get away from the gangsters. And so you you in some ways you trust that they uh, they either have a plan or can come up with something to get out of out right. of the jam. Um, so they don't feel like tragic characters, uh, but. But Marilyn Monroe, you know, she has she has moments. Obviously, she says that she's she's not very smart, um, but you really don't get that sense necessarily. You you get the sense that she is that she's very sad, um, that she's been hurt a lot in her life, and even at the end, when you know, you know, the, the at the end. Well, I guess spoilers. Should we? Well, I, I want to hold on the end. Okay, okay, sorry. Because you're you're talking about her tragic character and just her introduction in the film, right? Instant beauty. There's a butt shot, which is, you know, surprising for an old movie. I guess for me, it was surprising. I was like, you know, it's not like it was like she had a wedgie up her butt and it was like a tight leather suit. But I was surprised to see the fact that they even filmed her butt, right? And there's there's innuendo even in that shot because the train shoots out steam at her. Right, you know, exactly. Which is fun. I, I love it. Yeah, so that's her first scene. And then her second scene is in the bathroom drinking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And although it was still playing along with the idea of her being beautiful, there's like a heartbreak and heaviness around her you're totally right. She's one of the characters that seems like she has the most complexity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Out of anyone in the cast. She does. She she absolutely is the most um, complex character, I guess, but also most like human character in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, you know, everyone else, I don't want to say they're cartoonish, but they in some ways they are. They're, they're very um, fun and enjoyable characters to watch on screen, but they're not, you don't, you know... Like I'm not gonna go home and think about how Jack Lemon was so, you know, he, oh man, he he was such a tragic character or anything, you know, in the same way that you might in the apartment. Like this movie, he's it's just fun. It, you just you just want to see him, you know, go through more shenanigans, do more hijinks and you know cr- crazy things. Um, and Tony Curtis's character, especially, he's he's sort of the. Um, the mastermind in a lot of ways, yeah, you know, yeah. where he's like, you're like, oh man, why doesn't he just use his brains for something, <laughs> something, <laughs> something productive? Um, but 
but Marilyn Monroe, I she's the she's the character that I think about most often in this movie, um, because she has she has such a sadness about her that is like palpable. It almost it it's like it cuts through the rest of the movie, you know. And so this is what's so fun to compare this movie with alongside the apartment is the love triangle in the apartment is so much more complex, you know, whereas this movie, there's just one character in the um, love triangle that has that depth. And let's be honest, right? Like some like it hot starts with a shootout with cars spinning out. Like it's, it's supposed to be throw popcorn at your head kind of thing. It doesn't even have to hit your mouth. It just goes all over the floor, you know, like (laughs) it's supposed to be fun and entertaining, but you can feel like the underlying side of, of while they're being like, I want to include humanity. I want to include something in here. That's, that's more than that. The focus is on the jokes though. Totally. Totally. So yeah, I think it's, it's clear that, she is the standout character because of the depth, whereas everything yeah. else is set up as a great joke. And I think we should talk about the comedy in this film. Yeah, absolutely. Before, like, I want to, I want to hear about what is a screwball comedy, right? We, we, I want you to define it just so we know what we're talking about. Yeah. So a screwball comedy, it was, it was a very short window of time, uh, basically after uh, it, uh, the movie It Happened One Night, which was in 1939, I believe. Um, and it, it involves really what it, what it is, is it's sort of a man and a woman who don't, um, (laughs) who either don't like each other at first or put in a certain situation at first, uh, but end up, uh, throughout the course of the movies falling in love essentially. Um, and that's, that's. That's the general, most general overview of it. Um, it was pioneered by uh, by Cary Grant, by Howard Hawks as the director. Um, you know, Billy Wilder wrote a bunch of them. And and really, what it is is it's like it's an odd couple essentially. Mm. Um, it's it's a you know either a, a fast talking witty woman and sort of a, a schlubby or nerdy man. Um, you know, it's a. Uh, there's there's a lot of different variations of the theme, but essentially it's it's two people who don't get along who are thrust into a situation that um, are, you know, th- that are clash heads enough that they end up liking each other. Um, and what's fun about it is a lot of times it's either set in during Prohibition, it's set in um, in the 30s in the Great Depression, um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, like fish out of water scenarios is the best the best sort of overview that I can give. But it always it always ends, you know, with with some some variation of a love story essentially. Um, so and, like uh, Gone with the Wind. No, not at all. Because <laughs> um, it's a comedy, and and another another theme <laughs> another theme is very quick and witty dialogue. Um, so not Gone with the Wind. Not at all. Got no, it. yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, not at all. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Cameron. Not at it's all. too much fun to watch your live reaction. Um, well, so I I actually took a whole class on screwball comedies. Um, you'd think I'd be able to be able to give a better description of it, but with a lot of these genres and subgenres, it's like they don't really have like 
identifiable meanings they have traits essentially yeah um so so this this movie while it doesn't have the the classic you know man woman doesn't like each other you know and then gets together at the end it does have the fish out of water the witty dialogue sort of set in the right era and i think what what really makes it a screwball comedy is um the fact that there's you know Tony Curtis's character, and they end up falling in love, obviously. But uh, really, it's it's the the hurdle of she doesn't know my identity, and so I need to to either dress up or get in a in a scenario where she can she could be where I could be honest with her, I guess. Um, and so that's that's kind of what makes it uh, one of the last classic. Uh, screwball comedies and again it is a variation of the formula too and he makes references to screwball comedies and to the era um with the the Cary Grant impression that that Tony Curtis's character does um and with a lot of jokes about sort of that time period so yeah I think Wilder fits perfectly inside of the screwball comedy arena it's really the witty dialogue that knocks it out of the park I want you to think for a moment, Cameron, of three gags in this movie that just are fantastic for you. And I'm going to give you some time because I know there's a ton in in there. Um, And we're probably going to have some overlap. So I'm kind of stalling by the way I'm talking because I'm trying to really come up with some. But why don't you start with one and then come back to me and we'll kind of play off each other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. for me, I love the I love the idea of the spats um, as sort of his gangster um, identity is all about his the way that he presents his shoes. Right. Um, it's not a funny gag necessarily, but it's definitely one that is um, is so uh, like it just keeps coming back over and over again, and the way that it's like I think of it as as a classic Wilder. Uh, take on uh, a character that you you need you know you need spats in this film because he's the one who sets up the the, the everything else spats is the gangster yes yes uh but at the same time he doesn't need to be in the movie all that often you yeah. know he he's kind of a he's kind of a non-essential character um and in any other director and with any other writer it would basically be like you know spats is just normal gangster right but wilder has to put in one identifiable feature so that you he can either reference it later on uh which he does many times or so that you you can tell who it is and that's really what it what the idea his entire name is like based (laughs) on his shoes exactly but but the idea is that he he doesn't need to give you that much of a character for you to to be like oh that's spats that's iconic you know that's 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 what billy wilder does and why he's he's one of my favorites is cuz he he's able to just give you a a touch of something and you can create your own character from that essentially so that that's one that's not it's not funny but it's totally indicative of how how great wilder is and spats even has some comedic moments. I think in the end, at his death, doesn't he say something like where he's like, that's it. Like that was a terrible like setup or something like that. He has like one last line or something like that. I don't, and then gets yeah, shot I don't again. remember. His dying words are like basically breaking the fourth wall in some ways. Mm, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. this is, 
this is, you know, silly, but yeah, the shoes are, are a great thing. I don't know. It's more witty than it is funny, um, but very clever setup. I think for me, the funniest visual scene and probably my shot of the film is the scene where um, Lemon's character is like in bed with Marilyn Monroe and they're like, oh, like, let's get some alcohol out. Yeah. And then yeah. the entire cabin of girls <laughs> like floods his small train booth bed. And there's this fantastic shot where it's just him and uh, Monroe like in the bed and all the girls flood in because there's a party and I have cheese and crackers and I have like, you know, all this other stuff. It's just ridiculous. And it's so funny. But it, it's hilarious because they keep cutting to this tiny bed uh, area for the the car you know it's basically like a bunk bed in the train and there's just legs hanging out and like <laughs> it's just it's unbelievable it's it's quite comedic the way it's all set up and it it holds your attention because it's it, it's ridiculous looking so yeah absolutely um i love his i love tony curtis's um yacht man i think i think it's such a yeah. good uh it's it's fun visually because, like I said, it's uh, it's a reference to Wilder's older, you know, foray and uh, working with Gary Cooper and what and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, it's like he's such a ridiculous persona, um, and it's so obvious that he's he's putting it on in some ways. And and Marilyn Monroe's character doesn't really care, <laughs> or or. You know, it doesn't know, I guess, but but pretty much doesn't care. And I love all the all the jokes about him switching from f- from that character to the to the Daphne character or yeah. to the uh, Josephine character, right? And um, the way that he's like in the bathtub in his yeah, full he's in suit. the bathtub. He's he's in the bed with the yep, and then you know the the <laughs> the boy with. The, the bellboy with the bow tie, remember, he I, comes in. The like, funny, <laughs> the funniest joke for me with him and his character was the whole shell scene. Yeah, I on love the, the beach shell scene where he like yells at the kid <laughs> to get lost, which is super funny. And the kid was collecting shells, and he's trying to sell the fact that he's like a millionaire to like Marion uh, Shell Oil. Yeah, like like and uh, Monroe's face, like when he's like, I like to collect shells, just like you know, it's the symbol of my company. <laughs> And her, they, there's this great shot of Monroe's face. She's just like, it like hits her. She's like, shell oil? Like what? <laughs> like it's so, it just was so dumb. And, and that uh, comes back later where, when she's like, she's like, well, I can't forget him. I'm going to see him on every street corner in, yeah. the, in the shell oil. Yeah, that's, I mean, he he's quite silly. I thought everything with him on the yacht where he was like, so funny. oh, some what a weird you know pickup <laughs> strategy kissing hey, me doesn't works. turn me on at all and she's like are you sure like and she keeps like trying to kiss him like, and nothing i can't nothing at all i can't you feel might want to try something else like he's like nothing works at all and the lights are right over there like there's like that little clever yeah, yeah, line yeah. where he's pointing that stuff out his character uh, or his um millionaire character is pretty fun um, yeah yeah i was gonna say that there's this scene for me that was super funny where um, Lemon's character comes back after a full night of dancing and he's like, oh, like that, the the real millionaire who owns the yacht that yeah, um, yeah. that his friend stole for the night to impress Monroe. Um, like the really, the real millionaire is with Lemon's character and he's like, oh, he proposed to me and he's just like, 
somehow trying to figure out the scheme to get half the millionaire's money and pretend to be a woman uh, in the divorce or something. Like, it is just absurd. And it's a very... There are laws, conventions. Yeah. It's it's a very um, funny setup all in all. Yeah, I like I like the stuff. I agree. I like the stuff with the old man. And obviously, that's the, the last line, but... I will get into that, I guess. But, um, you know, the the setup where he's, you know, they start dancing. There's a whip pans going back and forth between, you know, the dancing and then them on the yacht. And uh, and, and as, as the as the uh, as the scene progresses, he gets more and more into into it, more and more interested in the guy. Or like the moment where, he, where he's like, you're leading the dance. You yes, know, like yeah. that's so fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that. And then. Another one I was going to mention was was sort of everything in terms of, um, like Marilyn Monroe being such a stunner. I guess, uh, like there's there's so many good, um, just like th- they're not even they're not even gags. They're almost just like it, it's like it's like part of the scenery. You know, as like guys will just stare at her. <laughs> or um you know like we mentioned the train and then there's there's the one funny one where uh, they're practicing uh, on the train with the conductor yeah and uh she has a funny line where she is like put a little <laughs> put a little heat on it um to to the you know to the the two girls quote right. unquote um but uh Jack Lemon he's he's playing the bass and he he's like flipping around the bass and uh and he's staring at Marilyn Monroe cuz she's singing right in front of him and uh and uh, he turns it around and and doesn't realize that he's not playing anymore and right. like I like that gag um I mentioned at uh, one of the last scenes where she's like running up the stairs and it's just a guy who's like right Random. he's like he's totally not a character just an extra who just like is looking at her like whoa yeah yeah <laughs> you know everything about that i think is is uh, is funny because i mean it's the, i wouldn't say it's funny necessarily it just like like it it adds to her character in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um she's she's kind of oblivious to it you know she doesn't she doesn't really care that people are looking at her she's she's just trying to to live her life in some ways um and so it it gives her a, another element of not being phased by sort of being the being the stunner that she is yeah and i think she fits that role super well right totally i yeah. didn't know her in real life i don't know anybody that really i i don't know much about her but it's an interesting t- it's not the way i would expect her character to play in a movie if i ever watched one right yeah, yeah. so very wild there of him the final third com- comedic thing that stuck with me, and there's plenty more than this, but the late introduction of the mob boss with the hearing aid is fantastic. Yeah, that's he, a funny he one. He is so funny with the way he delivers his lights or, or his, his lines about, um, what's his name? Spitz? S- spats. Spats. I, I don't even know what uh, those sh- they're the shoes, right? They're the covering over his shoes. Yeah. yeah. Nobody wears spats. Lace up my spats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, he talks about spats being like, some people may say, you know, <laughs> that you're this, but that I he's say, gone too far. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he's super funny. And then the inspector coming in and, you know, picking up his hearing aid and saying, yes. Right. Like, yeah. It's just yeah. such a, it's a weird, good line. He's a very strange looking character. You're trying to figure him out. He looks like Lobot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's exactly, that's, that's exactly what I thought of when I saw him. I was like, what is, 
who is that? Like, yeah. what is he doing here? Um, so yeah, that th- there's plenty more. And fun the, gags, um, the Ed, uh, also one of the side gangsters that we kept commenting on was the big dumb one. Yeah, he's funny. Um, he doesn't have a lot of lines or a lot to do, but he just looks so funny. You know? <laughs> you yeah, can, he's he, weird. He has just his face is. Is I don't know. There's something about it that makes me laugh. To kind of close out some clever moments with the gangsters, the opening scene with the casket and the alcohol reveal yes, yeah. is, is super cool. Because um, these gangsters are trying to get away from the cops. They're having to shoot out on the road. And there's a casket inside the car. Yeah, they're in a hearse. Yeah. yeah and, and it starts like bleeding. You don't really know what the liquid is. And they open the casket and there's alcohol and it says it's Prohibition era. Super cool intro. Like, it feels like one of those, um, I don't know, there's, like, text down at the bottom that reminded me of the old Justice League cartoon. I know that's so random, but, like, I was like, you know how, like, those Justice League cartoons started, and then after the title thing happened, like, it would show in text the name of the episode, you know? Yeah, yeah. It kind of felt like that. It was like, now that you've seen a small bit, we're going to tell you this is like what's going on. Yeah, 1929. Exactly. And, they, and obviously they make jokes about about prohibition, but they also make jokes about the stock market um, and about the, the, yep. the depression. Um, the coffee guy. That's a good That's a good. Yes, joke. the yeah. coffee. Yeah, I, so. I want another cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, where they're going and why the casket is, is important, I guess, is they're going to a fu- mozzarella's funeral parlor. Right. Uh, quote, unquote, which is actually just a speakeasy. But, um, but it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's so funny. There's so much, there's so much humor in t- sort of the, the setups the the each individual scene has like so many gags and so many um i don't know it just is it feels so rich in terms of its its comedy you i know? think that's a good way of putting it even if you're not going to laugh out loud the same way that maybe some audiences would in the past i was surprised that there were moments in this film that had me laughing yeah right the shell joke actually i actually <laughs> laughed you know and i was like wow i mean it it worked right so that's credit to this film um really like beyond what I think most old comedies could do. So. Yeah. Well, it, I, I've stopped saying that anymore because, uh, because I've watched so many screwball comedies and I think, um, Hey, maybe we'll do it next month. If you want, uh, if we, if you want to keep this train going, I don't know if we will, but, um, I love screwball comedies because they're so, they're so breakneck in a way that like no other old movie is. They just don't stop. Yeah. It, and it's crazy. Like this movie has the same speed and the same energy where it's like this movie is two hours. It's not short. You know, it's it doesn't it it doesn't feel um well it, yeah, like I said, it's not it's not a short movie. Like this movie could be 90 minutes for sure. Um, but at the same time, it feels like things are just going, going, going all the time. There's no, even in the moments that are, that there, there's like downtime, it feels like something's picking up, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's, so, it's, in, it's impressive because the, the plot is so ridiculous and so, uh, absurd, but you never think about it. You know, you're you're just bought in. You're bought in to the fact that that it, obviously it's a ridiculous idea, um, and they don't they don't pass. 
<laughs> you know, they don't pass as women. Not, not at, at all. all. Oh, man, the leg shots. <laughs> Those are so bad. Which is part of the comedy, yeah. obviously. But at the same time, you're like, th- like you're bought in, you know? You're bought in just as the other the other characters are, that they they embody these, you know, they they do such a good job, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon do, of selling themselves, even if they don't <laughs> they don't really pass. Um, which I, I think is a testament to, you know, not just their acting, but to to Wilder as well. And his his screenwriting I think is really smart. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, fun, fast. And it doesn't feel like a super long movie. It's like over two hours, right? Yeah, I think it's like 2.15, something yeah. like that. So the thing I really want to get at with the ending, and I'm not really going to even spoil what happens. I don't even think it really matters. It's comedy, right? You're not there for the plot too much. But Wilder endings, every every Wilder movie I've seen has like this home run ending. Yeah, you know, 100%. <laughs> and I think the home run they're going for with this one is the last joke, right? But it left me feeling empty because usually the home run endings are like deep humanity, like, or almost like existential thought. Like it's it's beyond the movie scope almost, right? Double indemnity, you know, the ending, like the dramatic endings with around murder in some of, some of the earlier films we watched, Sunset Boulevard, um, witness for the prosecution, right? Like there's these larger than life actions that breed to these thought consequences almost like you're really deep in thought in that. And then with the ending of the apartment being a strong statement or conclusion to, uh, being a people pleaser, right? Like it's kind of the big idea that they're revolving around in terms of comedy or character, right? Like to me, some like it hot just didn't have that touch and i was not surprised because it made sense what it did but it didn't feel like it had that staple moment right i i i definitely disagree um though i i get what you mean um i think it reminds me a lot of the apartment ending um in terms of the the single line that closes out the movie um, it's the thing that it's oh and and witness for the pr- prosecution. Um, for me, Wilder endings are all about writing the that last line that closes out the story and wraps up the characters in a way that that you know is only capable of doing in like one line of dialogue. You know, one thing that that finishes it off that you're like ah. The end, you know, it's like, it's like the, the last breath of this story. Um, and, and while there, there isn't an ending in this movie that is like going to keep you thinking about it or is going to keep you thinking about sort of the, what the movie means or what the, the, you know, the characters mean or what the, the conclusion of the story means, it's definitely a wilder ending. You know, in that there's that one last joke, that one last piece of things that closes out the movie that is that is like that's the perfect way to end this this silly, dumb story, essentially. Um, you know, and each character they they all get their due in in some ways. I mean not 
not like in consequences. They they don't they get off scot free in, <laughs> in what they're doing, but they all get a conclusion to the sort of facade that they're that they're going through, right? You know, the the conclusion for for uh, Tony Curtis's character is he, you know, he comes clean to to Sugar, and um, and you know Marilyn Monroe's character she she also realizes that she doesn't she doesn't care about the things that that she thought she cared about, you know, she's interested in you know in Tony Curtis's character, um, and for Jack Lemmon as sort of the the support in terms of like the comedic support. It's such a good closeout line, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, where he's like, he's so in and over his head, but at the same time, um, I don't know. It's, it's so, it's so heartfelt like that ending. I think, um, I don't know. I, I always think about that ending in terms of what a classic wilder en- ending would be. You know where it's it's the the last finale of of smart dialogue. Like, what is that in every movie? Um, and this this I think stacks up with with the rest of this. I I totally think it's um, it's a good example of this. But yeah, I mean, I I see where you're coming from. Like, I agree with you. I just it didn't leave an impression. The same way that the other ones did for me, if yeah. that makes sense. And I don't. It doesn't need to. Like I said, like I don't think it. I don't think it was done wrong. That's not. I'm not trying to criticize that at all. It was just not the same weight that always came with the other Wilder films. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. No. I. Yeah. I get what you mean. So. So. Maybe it's just adhering to comedy as a whole, yeah. right? But even in our conversation about the apartment last week, we talked about how so often Wilder uses devices outside of comedy and then puts comedy as a piece of the overall structure of the film, right? Whether it's noir, you know, mystery of this court case, right? Or, you know, even Sunset Boulevard's almost like haunting atmosphere and the apartment's depressing, I guess, dystopian take on work life, right? Those, like, comedy just comes in naturally. So to see him just full send to one palette almost in this movie was, like, again, I'll say it. Like, it's not wrong by any means. I just personally was like i didn't realize how much i'd miss the i guess more depressing or darker uh comments right yeah like i think i think that that's what shocked me the most about the ending is i was like i should just take it for what it is and leave it but now that i've sort of tasted what else wilder does i was like it's almost better to have something else and get his comedy at the same time yeah, yeah. Right. And so, uh, I, like, I think this movie is great. I gravitate towards a mixed plate versus, mm-hmm. like, a one thing, right? And, and it's not, like, we talked about Marilyn Monroe's character having depth and tragedy and all these other elements. It's There's other things in there. They're just not as prominent as 
the comedic element and he full sends to it and that's great. I just there was there there's something there's like not the depth that I expected and it's weird for me to say that as a casual viewer. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know? I mean, totally. I yeah, that's that is definitely interesting. Um I think I think maybe at this point of his career he he had done he had done everything in terms of of you know making movies that that had a point or making movies that had um something to say uh, and I think he he wanted to to give himself this this little you know it's just a piece of enjoyment you know yeah, it totally, no, totally. Is, it totally is exactly what what it sets out to be you know what i mean it's a, it's a crazy goofy um funny little movie that that doesn't you know doesn't have a lot i don't want to say it doesn't have a lot more to it but it almost is what i mean you know it doesn't have a lot more depth and it doesn't need to, you know, it's perfect in terms of its its comedic and entertainment value. Um, in the same way that I, you know, it's why I love certain movies like like Mission Impossible or like like Mad Max, you yeah, know, yeah, which I love too, right? Where it's like it's like it's so it's so quintessential in terms of uh, hitting the the genre out of the park or being entertaining that you don't even care that it doesn't doesn't really matter or it doesn't mean anything because it's so it's so it's so perfect and it's a little gem of what it uh you know of what it sets out to be uh and that's rare i would say it's rare to get movies that are so perfectly encapsulating of what they're trying to do that it it like breaks through everything else you know so what's even more rare is for a director after making a movie like this I, I mean, maybe it's not rare, but it's just interesting that the apartment is after this movie because yeah. he has so much to say in that movie, right? Totally, yeah. The entire movie has a statement in it and a strong one, if that. And it's like maybe he just needed a break to come back strong for sure. something different, right? It's true, yeah. So yeah, overall, like I enjoyed it. I think it. I think you're right, as you know, as you're talking about, like this is. Wilder, just having fun. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and he, there's plenty of movies of his where if you want something heavy, <laughs> you can find it. Yeah. No, no, you no. Know? no yeah. Um, and this is, this is such a good experiment. It's like, I almost wish someone like, um, like Stanley Kubrick or like one of those directors who, who are very much known for uh, being like, dark or even like david fincher you know i i kind of want them to just make a straightforward comedy in in some ways because like he wilder is a master of genres i think he does everything you know to a point where he almost creates them you know like he does something so well that people just copy his his formula you know and it's it's you know you get that with double indemnity um, he, he basically invented the noir genre. Um, you get that with screwball comedies. He invented that too. Uh, you get that with, with, with Sunset Boulevard is sort of a, an amalgamation of, of both noir and also like the, it's like 
it's all, it has a lot to say about Hollywood and whatnot and everything like that. And I don't know. For me, it's he is he's a master of every genre that he tries. He he nails it. He hits it out of the park. So um, for me, I wish more directors would do that. Yeah, let's see Christopher Nolan's like committed comedy. Yeah, like what what would a Christopher Nolan comedy be? I don't know. I don't know if that man has a sense of humor. He kind of seems like an alien, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what what let's think about that for a second. What are, who are some of the great directors of our time, Cameron? I'd like to I'd like to go down this brain path. I think David Fincher is um I would say Chazelle is a great example of a of a modern like he only has a couple movies, four movies that he's made, but he's like on a, still on a hot streak. Um, Denis Villeneuve is amazing. You're saying names I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> Damien Chazelle made La La Land and Whiplash, and First Man, but nobody saw that. But it was great. I liked it. Um, David Fincher. He made Seven. He made, uh, he made Mank this year, which was not very good, but. Um, he made <laughs> the social network Zodiac. I've never seen Zodiac, but I want to watch it. It's great. That I love movie, it. that movie seems really cool. Yeah. But I kind of want like Fincher has a weird sense of humor. I think, um, he's kind of, he's a weird dude, but I want, I, I don't know. I think, I think directors should explore new genres is what I'll say. And I think that's hard to sell probably in Hollywood because if yeah. your movie made a lot of money, they want you to make another one like that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. Is there another director today that jumps genres quite consistently? Um, yeah, I'm sure I could, if I thought about it, I, I could come up with one. But Because, you know, I like the only reason I'm thinking about this now is there's been a large discussion around um, Justice League lately, and mm. the Snyder Cut came out, right? Who was the guy that did the original theatrical cut? Um, Josh Whedon, I think. Like, Josh Whedon has, like, a stamp, and he just does the same thing every time, right? <laughs> like, so he, he literally, true. like, just copy-paste. I mean, he did the Avengers, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Maybe? That's why they put him in charge of Justice League. They're like, just do that again. Was it Josh Whedon, or was it the other one? I can't remember. No, I'm pretty sure it was Joss Whedon. The first Avengers. Not, not yeah, the second no, one. Yeah, no, I know. So, yeah, like, a guy like that, he just does it. Or, you know, J.J. Abrams has, like, the one note, like, I'm going to do the first movie of it. Right? <laughs> like, that's it. Like, you know, like, he's going to yeah, yeah. he's gonna do the, um, oh, I don't even know what the term is, but the setup and introduction. He's going to do the reboot. Yeah, the reboot setup introduction, <laughs> right? So... I just can't think of a lot of people or a lot of directors or creators that like jump genres. I mean, you'll look at Nolan and he's got elements that are like Nolanisms, I guess, almost like throughout most I of think, his films. You know what? I think Spielberg probably is the closest to, to being a, a director who, who has done almost everything. Yeah. Um, although even then... I, I don't know if there's been like a straight Spielberg comedy. Um, I'm trying to think, but he I mean, Super he has, Eight. That's not Spielberg. <laughs> Are you sure? Super Eight was was uh, J.J. Abrams. Really? 
I'm pretty sure. I thought though, I could have sworn. Okay, you're probably right. Super Eight's not a comedy either. I know. I was just trying to <laughs> throw out a Spielberg movie I could think of, but it was wrong. <laughs> you're right. It was J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Crap. I love I love Super Eight. I think it's his best movie. But I watched that movie and didn't like it as a kid. Well, I was as like, a kid, did, I, I mean, was like, why did the train explode so many times? <laughs> It was like the most violent train crash I've ever seen in a movie. As a kid, yeah, but but it 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 works. It's a good movie. Anyways, in any case, um, I think Spielberg is probably the closest to doing like he's done kids movies, he's done action movies, he's done historical dramas, he's done war movies, he's done uh, sci so much sci-fi. Yeah, um, I don't know if he's ever really done a comedy. Let's see a comedic reboot of District 9. Well, that's a director who has basically done nothing after. <laughs> he did District 9, which is so good. I loved I loved District 9. Um, My dad saw that movie like a couple times in theaters. I don't really? even know why. Like, I don't know why. he liked it? He liked it, yeah. Yeah, it's no, it's great. I mean, it's about, um, it's obviously about South Africa because that's where the director's from. Um, but, I mean... I don't know. What a what a you know derailed train, you know. This just, movie's got a train just super, like super eight. eight. It's got a big train that blows up. All right. <laughs> so back to uh Some Like It Hot, which has a train. Yes. I think we've pretty much said everything we need to say about it. We I can... do love the train car sequence. Yeah. Like everything in there is fun. Um, yeah. I love the the little bladder they're using to like yeah, as the cocktail the, shaker. What is that? I don't know. Silent shaker, probably? No, I think it's like a I think it's like supposed to be a water bottle. Yeah, I don't know. Um, or like one of those cold compresses. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's weird. And then they're like, Ooh, where's the vermouth? We're going to, do you have maraschino cherries? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The movie is all around fun. I just, it's hard for me to be like, cause I was, you know, we're going to get into our ratings. I do think that this movie could be for everyone. But I don't have a desire to tell people to go watch it the same way I did with The Apartment hmm. or with um, uh, Witness for the Prosecution, right? Yep. Those movies, like, I literally went out and told people, you guys got to <laughs> see these movies. Yeah, yeah. And for me to do that is pretty rare. Sure. Um, and so maybe the category of for everyone doesn't really make sense. I, I don't know. I, I, I think this movie's for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would recommend this to, to basically, to almost anyone. I would say, I'd say, hey, this is a fun, enjoyable movie. It's not a lot of, uh, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but it's just fun, you know? And to watch to watch a movie that's kind of risque and and kind of uh, pushing the boundaries in, in the 50s is like, that's that's interesting. That's fun. Um I think that's that's where you get into you know people who are into film or people who are intrigued about that that era um they can get something out of this movie too uh you know people who are Billy Wilder fans or you know people who who appreciate him probably have already seen this movie honestly but you know it's it's I think this movie has something for everybody so yeah, I'm just thinking of a lot of the casual people in my life that I'm be recommending this film to. I just I don't know if it would catch them. And I'm not really sure why. Yeah. I just I kind of feel like they would be like, "All right. 
Like that's kind of like just how I would how I think they'd see it. So yeah. I feel like you do need a touch of interest to in watch Wilder. this movie. No, not even in Wilder. Just some some form of interest. It's so close to for everybody. Mm. But I do kind of feel like I'm leaning more towards um casuals. All right. Someone that has like just a slight interest to get through it all the way. Otherwise you're going to sit here and be like, "Okay, this is, you know, kind of funny and here and there and you know you're not going to get anything out of it." So you're just kind of I I don't know. Like there's not to me there's not like this drawing factor about it besides it, to its credit, like I do think you can find something if you want something. That's where I can see like for everyone like who doesn't want to watch a movie with Marilyn Monroe if they haven't seen a movie with Marilyn Monroe in it, right? Yeah, and this is the one that I would point them to. Exactly, like, sure. totally, totally. Because I I didn't know anything about her, and I know who she is, right? And now you now you feel like you're you're interested in her more too. You know, after this movie, you're like you're like, oh, like I wonder what else she's done. Not very much. It's not very yeah. Good. But so, but <laughs> this is like her her standout role. I would say I haven't seen the Seven Year Itch, but um, I'm interested, and that's that's one of the Wilder movies I have. Actually, there's a lot of Wilder movies I haven't seen because he's he's kind of prolific. He has a lot of credits. So yeah, um, but I, yeah, I don't know. For me, this is a movie that I can just say without a doubt. You know, if you put it on, people will just start enjoying it. I think you know, hmm. if it's like one of those movies where if you're just hanging out and you're you're trying to put a movie on in the background, like this is not one of those. Those like you just put it on and people don't pay attention. Like I think if you put this on while people were talking, they would be like, "Wait, what?" And then they would start watching and and like you would get into it. You know, it's yeah. like it's a movie that grabs your attention that doesn't really that doesn't really let you go. Um, and that's why I think it's for everyone. So I don't know. I think you have a compelling argument. I don't know why I'm like on the fence about it, yeah. but there's no doubt this movie is quality. So. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, I love it. I think again. I just recommend it. Like, if people, if you want an enjoyable movie, this is probably the most enjoyable movie we've ever watched uh, on the show. So, <laughs> well, what about the piano? <sighs> yeah. So, Cameron's the expert. <laughs> he recommends it highly. I say it's really good. Take it as you will. Um, we post every Monday. So you can listen to us review movies, probably not without so much of a raw feeling, because Cameron and I don't record in person too much anymore just because of the commute and our, our lazy elderly bones can't just, <laughs> we just can't seem to figure out how to spend a full day in the city together. As, yeah, as it's ladies. true. It's true. After a certain amount of time, our, our, you know, our joints creak and we start to turn into pumpkins. So. Okay. Which guy is which in this movie? Which guy is what? Who? Who are you in this movie? Uh, I'm probably Tony Curtis. Yeah. I'm probably Jack Lemmon. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> All right. With that, uh, we'll wrap it up. Cameron, do we have another week in Wilder Month? Are we doing one more? We have one more week. Yeah. If and uh, it was, it, it's a voting week. So yep. you still have only a couple days, I guess. Probably but. not. Because uh, this is posted on Monday. Yeah, so so we'll, the, we'll, the vote's we'll probably, probably close. Yeah. But, you know, if you voted, you voted. Most likely, Juzo took control. Full full dictator overrule um, <laughs> because nobody else voted. So we appreciate you guys. We post every Monday. Give us a rating, all that good stuff. And we'll see you then. 
Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast executive produced by Darren O'Neill. If you want your name read in the credits of the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions to achieve this status. Thank you, Darren, for the support. And for the rest of you, we appreciate your support as well. Have a good one.